You're listening to the Magnum version of the Savage Lovecast, www.savagelovecast.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't ask on the Savage Lovecast. I was listening to This American Life. I'm a little behind on my This American Lives uh, but I was catching up. I've been on a book tour, so I've, I've fallen behind. And I just caught from about a, three weeks ago uh, an, an episode of This American Life called Hot in My Backyard, which was about climate change. Uh, and a large part of this report takes place uh, in Colorado. And reporter Julia Kumari Drapkin – I hope I'm pronouncing your name correctly, Julia uh, – did a long report from Colorado where basically Colorado is on fire. In 2012, Colorado had a worst fire season ever and now, of course, it's having an even worse fire season. Colorado is once again burning. And she was interviewing ranchers and farmers whose way of life is dying. Like the world is burning around them. Their, their, their fields are dying. Their crops are dying. Their cattle is dying. Their lifestyle is dying. And all of these people that she's talking to, they're in complete denial about climate change. You actually can't say climate change to them. They, they refuse to believe it even as their world burns, even as their way of life collapses around them. And in the report, she really unpacks it. One of the reasons that people don't want to hear it, the, the state climatologist who, who features in Julia's report from Colorado can't even bring himself to say climate change to these folks uh, because he's afraid of being run out of his job. He's afraid of being fired as other state climatologists have been fired in other conservative states for mentioning climate change being a reality. And this guy, the climatologist, he knows climate change is actually happening. He knows it's responsible for the new normal, which is dry and hot and on fire. That's the new normal in Colorado, but he can't say it because he will be murdered by these ranchers who are being really harmed by climate change. And he can't actually level with them and tell them the truth about what is going on in their own communities, what is actually happening to them because they don't want to hear it. And they will murder anyone who tells it to them. They'll kill anybody who tells them the truth. There's this moment in Julia's report where she's run off of ranch by an angry rancher when he realizes that she is doing an environmental report. And listening to this show, oddly enough, reminded me of nothing so much. Listening to these people whose lives, whose lifestyles, whose livelihoods are being destroyed by climate change who cannot, will not hear those two words, who, who refuse to believe the science Listening to those people, it reminded me of nothing so much as standing around gay bars in Chicago, New York, in 1983, 1984, and listening to gay men who were in complete denial about the fact that AIDS was a sexually transmitted infection. They refused to believe it. They would cut your head off if you suggested that because then that meant they were doing something wrong. That meant that there was something about – the way we had been living that had brought about this biological catastrophe and they wouldn't hear it. AIDS was a government plot. It was bad drugs. It was this. It was that. It was not a sexually transmitted infection and there was aggressive pushback. Anybody who that early in the AIDS epidemic dared to suggest that it was an STI, those were fighting words. You'd be thrown out of a bar for saying that. And, and how ironic is that, that you know, me as this gay guy listening to these ranchers and farmers and thinking, oh yeah, sounds like fags, sounds like fags in 1983. 
You can't tell them the truth. They don't want to hear it. They're not ready to hear it. They're not ready to hear that the way we've been living is responsible for this catastrophe and that we're going to have to make changes. Those ranchers, those farmers, people in red states, people in their SUVs, they don't want to make changes. Those gay guys, 1983, 1984 in Chicago, New York, they didn't want to make changes either. They had to ultimately because you can only live for so long in denial of science and reality and eventually reality caught up with all those gay guys in the bars in Chicago and New York in 1983, 1984, 1982 who refused to believe that what was happening was actually fucking happening. And the science and reality is catching up with all of us who refuse to believe that what is actually happening is actually fucking happening, that we are changing the climate, that we are making this world uninhabitable. Gay men really kind of did make our world biologically uninhabitable for a while. And we had to make changes to save ourselves. We're going to have to do that again. And people are digging in in the same way, the same foolish way that gay men did early in the AIDS epidemic, folks in denial. And thinking about this just reminded me of this horrible thing. But folks forget, you know, in the AIDS walk, post-AIDS walks era and red ribbons and, you know, post-drug cocktails and HIV as a chronic manageable illness, the panic and the terror and the fear of those early years of the AIDS epidemic. And, you know, you had people talking about quarantining people with uh, – not just people with HIV or AIDS but just gay people. You had conservative writers like William F. Buckley calling for all gay men to be tattooed on their buttocks so that people would know before they had sex. All HIV positive gay men to be tattooed on their buttocks. Uh, which sounded a little holocausty to us at the time and people were dying and that made it extra holocausty. But it, what leapt to mind, the, the, the line that came back to me listening to that episode of This American Life was something Pat Buchanan wrote, really doing a victory dance in the end zone. He couldn't have been more delighted to see gay men dying and he wrote, pity the poor homosexuals. They've declared war on nature and nature is exacting its judgment. Listening to this show, listening to these conservative Republicans, their world burning around them in denial of their complicity and responsibility reminded me of that Pat Buchanan quote. We have declared war on nature, all of us, not just people living in red states, not just these ranchers, all of us. We have declared war on nature and nature is exacting its judgment. The world's on fire, poisoning water tables, fracking. The honeybees are dying. We have declared war on nature and it is exacting its judgment and there is no escape. And there is only so long that you can live in denial before you have to face it and start making changes. The gay community went through this in 1983. We faced it and we made changes. It hasn't been perfect. There have been setbacks. HIV infection is still a problem in the gay community but changes were made. Eventually, we had to accept the reality that HIV was a sexually transmitted infection and that ways in which we were behaving were making the epidemic incalculably worse. We were harming ourselves and our communities and each other and destroying our world. We really were. We were destroying our world. We were fucking our world. Same too now with climate. We are destroying our world and we're going to have to make changes sooner or later. Pity the poor humans. We have declared war on nature and nature is exacting its judgment. Pat Buchanan, he wrote that and I'm giving it back to you, you conservatives out there who are in denial about climate change. There you go. I'm going to throw that Pat Buchanan line 
in your face as it is suddenly relevant again. Your call is coming up. Hi, Dan. Um, I just had a really interesting thing happen to me. So I'm on Grinder where I live, and um, like, I don't know, a few weeks ago, um, I met up with this guy, uh, went to his house, we fooled around, and uh, he was hot, whatever, went home, we still kind of keep in touch. And then today, this other guy, really attractive, hits me up on Grinder. So we met, fooled around, but different guy, but he brings me back to the same house. And he didn't tell me he was with someone and the guy I hooked up with a month ago, who also I assume lived at the house told me like he wasn't seeing anyone. So I don't know if they're both cheating on each other and they just live together or, I mean, they're both on grinders. So I assume they know they're both fooling around. So I'm just wondering what should I do? Should I tell them that I know who they live with and, I'm really kind of confused, or should I just keep going and enjoy the hot sex with them individually and pretend like I don't know? They could be roommates. One of the guys you messed around with could have been a house guest. But what's probably going on here is that these two guys are in a relationship and they may have an open relationship. If they're both on Grindr, they've both seen each other on Grindr, particularly if they're both in the same place. If they're in the same house on Grindr, it'll tell them that they're 10 feet apart. Um, but they may have an open relationship and usually guys in an open relationship will be honest with the people that they mess around with on the side. But some guys in open relationships are honest with each other and dishonest with their tricks, dishonest with the guys that they mess around with. I don't know why they would do that except you know, some guys don't want to mess around with partnered people even if it's just a hookup, even if it's a nearly anonymous hookup. There are guys out there who do not want to mess around with guys who have boyfriends. Um, I don't know why they'd be sticklers on that point if they're just having a rando, nearly anonymous sexcapade. But perhaps these guys have encountered that once or twice. Guys were totally into them until they mentioned that they were partnered and this was a side thing and then the guy balked because maybe he wanted that anonymous hookup to have the potential of becoming a lifelong loving relationship in the presence of a boyfriend would preclude that. I don't know. I think you can ask though. I don't think that you as the third – have a responsibility to keep secrets from them and you know what you know and you know you've messed around with both of them in the same bed, kind of funny, kind of hilarious and I think you could say to one of them, so what's the deal? I've been in your house before. I've been in that bed before. Messed around with you there. Messed around with somebody else who said he lived there. Is it a house share? Are you roommates? Are you boyfriends? Because if you're boyfriends, I would be up for a three-way and then see what happens. Maybe you'll get the three-way of your dreams. Hi, Dan. This is a 29-year-old female calling. Um, I have a fairly simple question that I don't think you've actually answered on the podcast or in your letters as far as I can see from everything I've read, which is a good bit. Um, does one come out as bi if you're in a heterosexual relationship and you're pretty sure you're bi, but you haven't actually had that experience yet? Is it important to have that experience first? Absolutely, one can come out as bi if one is attracted to members of both sexes, even if one is involved currently and exclusively with someone of the opposite sex. You can be straight identified and a virgin. You can be gay and out about being gay and a virgin and not having sex or never having had sex with anyone. So you can certainly be out and bi and partnered with an opposite sex partner and a same-sex sex virgin. I would encourage you to be out and bi 
even if you're currently partnered with an opposite sex partner. The more LGBT people who are out, the better for all LGBT people, particularly B people. It's actually imperative for more bisexual people to be out, particularly bisexual people with opposite sex partners. There was a new Pew study that came out last week, polling data, reams of it on the LGBT community. And of the gay men polled, 77 percent of them were out. Of the lesbians polled, 71 percent of them are out. And that, those numbers actually seem small to me. To me, it feels like all the gays and lesbians are out now. Uh, and I would certainly encourage the 23 percent of Gay-identified men who are not out to fucking come out already and the 29 percent of lesbian-identified women out there who are not out to come the fuck out already. But here is the shocking stat. Only 28 percent of self-identified bisexuals are out. So a lot of bisexual activists rightly and justifiably so complain about bisexual invisibility. But the single largest contributing factor to bisexual invisibility is the bisexual closet and bisexuals have the power to end forever bisexual invisibility by coming the fuck out even if you have an opposite sex partner especially if you have an opposite sex partner it is important for you to be out if you have a same sex partner it's important for you to be out so that gay people don't think you're just another fag and lesbians don't think you're just another dyke so that they know that there are bi's out there in same sex relationships too Bisexuals, you have the power to end forever bisexual invisibility. All you have to do is open your fucking mouths and say that you're bi and bring those numbers, that percentage up to the lesbian and gay levels, to the high 70s as for gay men, the low 70s as for lesbians. I'd like to see us all in the high 90s or a perfect 100 percent as soon as possible. But yeah, caller, bi, come the fuck out. Hey, Dan. I am a 22-year-old, mostly straight female living in a big city. And my conundrum is that one of my very best friends, also a 22-year-old, mostly straight female, well, actually, we'll call her by, got an offer to do a sort of sexy, kinky photo shoot involving, like, latex paint. Basically, a latex paint fight, except they're taking pictures of it. And um, I expressed how honestly fun that sounds semi-naked or otherwise and um, she extended the offer for me to come along and partake to which I agreed to because it sounds like really fucking fun but now looking back I'm kind of wondering am I putting myself at risk for future employment by allowing even semi-nude pictures to be taken she insists that if I want to keep my undies on it's not a big deal and again it really sounds like fun I don't know this photographer. She says she knows him and that she has had photo shoots taken before and that he's very professional and it's a really non-creepy environment. And again, it sounds fun. I can't help but being worried about, you know, future employment. My name, to the best of my knowledge, because again, we haven't talked terrible specifics yet, um, will be attached. So if it's just my face floating around on a semi-naked body or even a naked body, is there really a risk? I don't necessarily work with children, but I'm only 22 and I'd hate to rule that out for future careers, but it seems like we hear every day about female teachers having pictures that were taken even years ago, getting discovered and then subsequently losing their jobs. Am I crazy? Is this is this like something that I should be concerned about? I really couldn't care less if my family finds those photos because, I mean, what the fuck ever. But... um I, as I said, I'm really more concerned about future professional opportunities. 
if you have even the slightest reservation, you shouldn't appear in these photographs. Uh, I hate to be sex negative. I hate to contribute to any sexist double standards that's lost around out there in the world. But as you're only 22, as you don't know whether or not you want to work with children, as people who do work with children are held up to higher and hypocritical standards in my opinion, uh, you really could fuck your life up. You know, these photos, you're 22, they could surface when you're 35, an employer could find them. Let's say you go into the law or you want to be a judge when you grow up or you want to be a Republican senator from Texas and they could really derail your career prospects. And you know, you may be semi-nude in them or not nearly nude or not actually nude. They could be super artistic. And what someone's going to infer, perhaps an employer, if they start Googling around and they find these and who knows what sorts of search engines are coming our way in the future, they'll be able to search facial contours and earlobes to find other matches out there. They may infer that if these photos exist, there's probably more and others out there that could be worse and they will err on the side of potentially not hiring you. Until you decide what you want to be when you grow up. I don't think you should put these photos out there into the world. I just don't. And I'm sorry if that makes me sound conservative or like part of the problem, the Anthony Weiner problem that I talked about last week. But still, what you're asking is could these fuck up your life in the future and screw up your job prospects in the future? And the answer to that is in. Yes, absolutely. We see that happen again and again and again and again. So I'd encourage you to err on the side of not – posing for those photographs if you have the slightest concern about job prospects coming down the road. Hi, Dan. I am a 32-year-old straight female who has um, finally at this point in her life begun to question her sexuality. You know, it isn't so much like am I a lesbian and, and any problems with that. The problem is I have no idea what to do with it because there's this woman who's currently my roommate. We've been friends for two and a half years and we've been very close friends and we know a lot about each other and we've helped each other through a lot. Um, she only recently came out to her family and it was a difficult process for her and she has had, she has struggled with finding a relationship. I, on the other hand, have never had a problem finding straight relationships um, and I'm currently single, but I've always found her to be attractive and I've always loved a lot of things about her, but somehow recently it's become, to, it's coming to develop to more than that. I find myself thinking of her all the time and it finally dawned on me that I, I really have a thing for her and something I would really be interested in pursuing except one, I don't know how to be a lesbian, which sounds ridiculous, but I wouldn't have the, slightest clue aside from making out with girls in one very unsatisfying drunken night. Also, I still also like Dick, but I don't necessarily know that I want to pursue a relationship with that. And I'm stuck in a, um, a quandary of sorts, and I really don't know what to do. And honestly, any advice you have would be amazing, and I would appreciate it. There are lesbian sex manuals. There's tons of info about lesbian sex online. You can go online and you can watch lesbian feminist created empowering lesbian porn of hot lesbian action. How to be a lesbian, that info is out there and easily obtained uh, by anyone with a laptop and the Google. Uh, the question here I, I think you're trying to ask is should I hit on my roommate or not? And I think maybe you should. Maybe this whole issue would resolve itself for you uh, if your roommate looked at you and said, oh, um, I'm not into you. That could kick this question down the road. But 
you know, being attracted to women and thinking you might be into women, but also admitting that you like the dick and you don't want to be dickless the rest of your life sounds like not a conflict about lesbianism, but a conflict about the bi. Maybe you're bisexual and you should be able to have a conversation with your roommate about that. Two and a half years you've lived together, you're really close. Um, you could be having some sort of crazy straight girl crush on her because she's just come out as a lesbian. I think you said a lesbian. Maybe she just came out as bi too. Uh, and maybe she's into you but she's trying to respect your heterosexual identity and not being one of those creepy queers who goes chasing after the straight friends that they develop crushes on. So for all we know, she's into you and you're into her and you can explore lesbian sex together with her as a lesbian and you as the bi person having lesbian sex. And it could be beautiful and wonderful but you've got to ovary up and uh, come out like we told – the previous bisexual lady caller on this show today. Come out. Come out to your roommate. She's out to you. Come out to her. Come out not just about your sexuality and the fact that you're questioning it and you think you might be into girls too, but come out about your crush on her and see what she has to say. Hi, Dan and Xavier Aroskis. My name is Sarah and I'm in my 30-year-old female um, class on the East Coast. I just had a general question about online dating etiquette. And the story is, I'm not actually a huge dater. Um, I would like to be, but I'm not. And uh, but recently, I went out on a couple dates with this guy. I wasn't hugely excited after the first date, but I thought, like, well, you know, I didn't have a bad time. And um, everybody always says, you know, to give it a second chance if it's not terrible the first time. So I went out with him again last night, and I have realized that... Um, it's not going to work uh, for a variety of reasons. Mostly, we really just don't seem to have anything in common. Anyway, so we met on an online dating site, and I'm just wondering generally like, what the etiquette is. We've had a couple of dates and a couple of phone calls, and I am going you know, like, to let him know. I'm not going to just ignore him. I'm going to let him know, like, hey, I don't think I want to see you anymore. But I'm just wondering generally when it's a situation like that where you've only had a couple of dates and you're not really invested, like, is it bad etiquette to just not call the person back or not respond to their emails? Like, I know that's what happens all the time. That's happened to me. And I've done that to people when it's just been one date. I'm just wondering, like, what the threshold is. And if any of your any of the listeners have any thoughts. So two of my favorite people on the planet, two of the funniest people on the planet, they wrote a song about your very dilemma. Garfunkel and Oates wrote a song, and I won't give away the title. I'll let them give away the title, addressing this very thing. Like, what do you do? You've been on a few dates. You're not feeling it, and you are faced with a choice between opening your mouth and telling the truth or doing what exactly? We call it the fade away. I don't know if we coined that term, but it uh... – but me and my friends all use that term. We call it the fade away. Where you just sort of try to text something out of existence without anyone knowing. <laughs> and is that is that a good thing to do? Is it a bad thing to do? What should women do when they don't want to date a guy and he keeps asking for more dates and you're sure that you don't want to date? What should you do? Well, I have to say that we are both single and in our 30s. So that makes us completely qualified to do this and completely unqualified to, to comment on this. But... Um, we decided that doing the fade away is the polite thing to do if the person hasn't directly asked you out. Okay. So if the person hasn't directly asked you out, like if they say, do you want to have dinner on Tuesday night? You just have to say no. Mm. But if they're just bantering with you, maybe you can just sort of take a little longer to write them back and, and just do that thing to sort of spare them 
you know, the embarrassment of being rejected directly. Uh-huh. But <laughs> so you, that's, that's what we were thinking. Uh, one thing I've never been clear on, are you Garfunkel or are you Oates? I'm Garfunkel. And how did you guys determine who would be Garfunkel and who would be Oates? Well, I have blonde hair and so does Art Garfunkel. And Kate says that if she's not careful, she has a mustache like John Oates. So, <laughs> yeah, we said that, that Kate's, Kate's the Oates. So, Kate, what should hetero go- heterosexual men, like women do this, they just kind of, they, they don't give a straight answer. They don't just come right out and say it. They kind of, they respond, but they're noncommittal. At what point is it the straight dating guy's responsibility to just read between the lines and realize that they've been cut off or dumped or the, the lady isn't interested? You know, I would like to think that they would realize it like very, you know, when they don't hear back right away, they would know something is up. However, in my experience with most guys, they often don't get the hint for a long time. Wouldn't you say that, Ricky? I mean, I feel like I'm the more direct one than Kate. I feel like Kate's done the same way a lot, and I'm I'm more direct. I usually just say it. That's true. I, I, I had to learn from Ricky because I was doing the fadeaway kind of a lot, which is why we wrote the song. And Ricky was like, you can't do this anymore. You know, but I was waiting. I was way into it. She would be on like two or three weeks into a relationship and try to fade it out, which just feels kind of wrong. Uh-huh. Yeah. The girl who called, it was just like a date. Or okay. Two, so, so. so what is your advice? Two for, dates, fade away loud. What is your advice for the woman who called? I think she should be slower with her responses. Try to fade it out. And if he asks her out, asks her out directly, then she has to give him an answer. The one thing I've learned from Ricky is that really being direct and telling the truth is the best way to go once you're way into it. However, two dates in really doesn't, uh, I don't really think you need to be totally direct and hurting someone's feelings if you can get away with just fading it out, not responding right away. Take a day or two to write back. So, you know, I've listened to your song a million times because I'm such a fan of all of your songs, but this one in particular is really hilarious. Um, But aren't you giving, aren't you advising this woman to be a huge pussy in your own words? Absolutely. We are. Yeah. Girls. Well, the the funniest thing about the fadeaway is that girls tend to not feel guilty about it, even though it's like the worst thing you can do. It kind of is. I feel like I feel like it's okay, but only in the very, very beginning. If she goes out with this guy one more time, then she's got to talk to him or she, you know, like, I feel like then you become a huge pussy. You know, it's kind of it's kind of nice to fade it out. Otherwise, Especially because you don't want to hurt the guy's feelings. If it's only been a day or two, you're, you know, just doing the fadeaway is probably a softer way to break up with someone rather than having to have a talk after one or two dates. And I've also realized this is true for both men and women. If you think the person doesn't like you, they don't. (laughs) This is something I've also learned from Ricky because I'll be like, I really like this guy. And then she's like, sorry, but no, no, she's always right. I don't know, think he would have asked you out by now. Uh, I would, I would encourage women to err on the side of being direct, even after two dates, because I hear straight women complain that straight men are obtuse, slow to take the hint. And, of course, the culture encourages straight men to pursue, pursue, pursue. We have all these romantic comedies out there that basically make it look like stalking is a successful mating strategy, that if you keep going after <laughs> this woman who clearly wants nothing to do with you, eventually she will succumb to your dubious charms. So can women really do that, complain that men are thick, slow-witted, can't take the hint, and then have this strategy of ending a new relationship by being uh, silent? And, and or noncommittal and then complaining that the guy didn't take the hint when you did actually give him a hint or a direct answer? Don't you have to be direct with thick-headed, obtuse men? It really is the worst way to handle it. I'm just saying that we do do it, but it is the worst way. And it is really hypocritical that we complain about men's behavior when it's, 
I think I think in the straight community, it's way harder to be a guy at first because they usually have to do the asking, mm-hmm. and they usually, you know, they have to put themselves out there a lot more than we do. So it is nicer, I think, if people can just cut it off. Although it, you, you have to be brave. Mm-hmm. The times I force myself to do it sometimes, and it's really hard, but you know, you feel better once it's over. Yeah, I mean, there are times where I'm like, I can't do the fadeaway here, and even though it wasn't a real thing, having that conversation is hard, and it feels like like a mini breakup or something, you know. I'll still cry about it. <laughs> Kate McCucci and Ricky Lindholm, Garfunkel announced, you guys just finished filming a pilot? Are we going to get to see that? I hope so. Cross your fingers. We'll find out pretty soon. Our fingers are crossed. Pick up their albums on iTunes. They are high fucking hilarious. We're going to play a little bit of Taste of Garfunkel announced The Fadeaway after this call. Thank you guys so much for jumping on the phone with us today. Thank you. Good luck. Bye. The way men break up may be sloppy and terse. What they do is bad, but what we do is worse. We pretend to ourselves it's a nice thing to do. To let you down gently by just not fucking telling you. And deep down we know it's the worst way to play it. But we are what we have. Huge pussies. And women are hypocrites. Especially ones in comedy bands. We see your faults, but not our own. Then we wonder why we're all alone. We fill you up with maybes, excuses, and stalls, but like a baby in China, it's better to have balls. Not the good wife type like Christine Baranski, so I'll pull out and leave like I'm Roman Polanski. Aww. Cause there's the right thing to do. Then there's what I'm gonna do. There's so much I should say, but instead, I do the fade away. Writes in Arizona for a guy named Jose. Opportunities for a college grad. The love between your mom and dad. Gonna peter out like a gay Satera. Iranian religion since the Reagan era. Black Nike sneakers after Kevin's gate. Summer camp attendance at Penn State. The name Adolf after World War II. Hey Dan, I love your show. I'm listening for a while, but my partner and I are planning on going to San Francisco this summer for Pride, which will be a first. But we're also hoping to go to a bathhouse, which will also be a first. And I just had a few questions about that. What what safety precautions do you suggest? Obviously, condoms are handy. I don't plan on doing anything anal. But beyond that, too, I also have HPV. I've been dealing with that with my doctor. Just in general, what safety precautions? And if you have any recommendations, I don't know how familiar you are with the bathhouse scene in San Francisco. But any advice you could give would be great. So, uh, how old are you? I'm 26. And how old's your boyfriend? I'm 38. And why do you want to go to a bathhouse? Uh, for fun. For fun. Um, and what do you think, and you've never been before, has your boyfriend ever been before? No, neither of us have. And what do you think you're going to find there? Um, sex? <laughs> well, yeah, and you can find that lots of other places too, and you can find that even just with each other and you can get on Grindr and other apps and you can find folks. Um, I, I'm just curious, like uh, what's alluring about the idea of going to a bathhouse, San Francisco, some sort of like gay Mecca pilgrimage back to 1970, yeah. back to 1978. Like what is it that you want to experience in a bathhouse? Um, I guess just the opportunity to meet lots of different people in that circumstance. So yeah, I don't know, just, just engage with different people. My general safety tip and precaution when it comes to bathhouses is, you know, you walk up to the door to the bathhouse and then you just keep walking. 
passed okay. the bathhouse. Uh, I, I have a hang-up about this. You know, I get a sort of reputation, like bisexuals say they're mad at me and some trans folks say they're mad at me because of things I've said. And they sometimes will say that I only speak for gay men and gay men love me but everybody else hates me. Gay men hated me first because I don't okay. – I am really kind of not into bathhouse sex and, you know, I've said things like anal isn't a first date activity uh, nor is uh-huh. rimming. Um, so I actually have a hard time – giving you any tips about bathhouse sex because I've never had it. Uh, I've okay. never been in a bathhouse except once or twice on a tour with an AIDS organization that I helped found a million years ago. Uh, and I have found them to be kind of on those tours and talking to friends who've gone squalid and depressing and uh-huh. like going to the reptile house at the zoo, but you're supposed to suck <laughs> them off. Uh, okay. But, but you guys are welcome to go there. You know, some people definitely, you know, it vibes for them. They find the environment sexy. They find the people sexy. They find the mm-hmm. sex sexy. But I've never been big on hyper-anonymous sexual activity in large groups. I'm 40 fucking eight. So I'm of that generation who one day I woke up and all my friends who frequented bathhouses were dead. And so I have this mm-hmm. kind of yeah. charnel house association with the bathhouse that is unpleasant. And maybe mm-hmm. some people will call in and we'll play those their comments on a future show and they'll be furious and they'll defend bathhouse sex. But my recommendation to you and your boyfriend is to fuck each other in San Francisco and maybe look around and find a special third uh, or fourth people that you can vet and get to know a little bit before you jump into bed with them. Uh, and you can yeah. have your sexual adventures. It's just you know bathhouses you know in in a lot of cities uh, and there are some are better than others and some are better policed than others. A lot of them have become sort of, you know, they get druggy, there's methy shit going on, and there's a lot yeah. of self-destructiveness that, that goes uh-huh. on in them. You know, maybe there are some people there who are there for all the right reasons and they're keeping their head screwed on straight and they're dipping in and dipping out uh, because they want to have this kind, particular kind of sexual adventure. But, you know, based on my conversations with friends who go or, or went – a lot of what you'll find in a in an environment like that are people who are destroying themselves with sex, people who are mm. fucking themselves to death. And I find that unsexy, unlife affirming. Yeah. You know, as LG, you know, as gay people, as gay men, um because of a lot of the homophobia that's heaped on us, the damage that might be done by religion or society or our parents, you know, we smoke at higher rates, we commit suicide at higher rates, we drink and sometimes abuse drugs at higher rates, these kind of self-destructive behaviors at higher rates. And some of us, you know, you can use drugs or you can abuse drugs, right? Mm-hmm. You can have sex or you can abuse sex. And there are people out there because of their self-loathing, because of their homophobia, internalized homophobia and their self-hatred, unresolved issues, are in bathhouses abusing themselves with sex. Yeah. And you may find the scales fall from your eyes, you and your boyfriend, when you enter a bathhouse for the first time. Mm-hmm. Now, maybe I'm just being you know, a grumpy old faggot from 1981 – and prejudiced about this stuff. And if you and your boyfriend decide to go, what I'd like to encourage you to do is give us a call back and let us know how it went. But I actually don't have any tips for you besides keep walking. Okay. I guess the one one reason that it's a place that we would go is our partner has glory hole fantasies. Mm-hmm. Like that's something that she really likes. And so that's the only place I can really think of where that kind of thing could be met for him. Yeah. Yeah, that is one of the only places or or a bookstore and, you know, if that's something he wants to, to experience, you know, a bathhouse might be the place to do that or a dirty bookstore. 
might be the place okay. to do that. I have a hard time signing off on that though because I understand. I, I have hangups. You know, for me, it matters to whom the dick is attached. Uh, but there are other, you know, there are gay guys out there who don't. That's not a thing for them. They they kind of love dick and they want to worship dick and more power to them. And I certainly have kinks of my own that aren't widely shared. So I get it. Like not everybody's thing is everybody else's thing. Um, yeah. But there are places you can go where dicks will appear through holes in the wall and you can play with them and suck them mm-hmm. if that's what you want to do. But I wouldn't <laughs> want to do that because of oral gonorrhea yeah. and because of oral syphilis and because of other things. And cooties, mm-hmm. just cooties generally. I, I can't share a can of Coke with my sister, like passing it back uh-huh. and forth. I don't want to suck a dick that 10 other guys have sucked in the last half hour. Call me uh-huh. a nun. <laughs> okay. See, yeah. if, I, if I had a boyfriend with a glory hole fetish, what I would do is I would get a piece of plywood and cut a hole in it <laughs> and put my dick through it or find a couple of co- trusted friends and organize kind of a private glory hole scene mm-hmm. for him with people I knew and trusted and felt good about mm-hmm. seeing my boyfriend yeah. suck off. And yeah, I don't know if I'd probably appreciate that. I don't know if I'd feel good about watching my boyfriend or my husband suck a bunch of strangers off in a sex club. But your mileage mm-hmm. may vary. Yeah. Okay. Sorry to sex shame you. I'm going to get so many angry calls about me sex shaming. I'm, tr- I'm really trying not to sex shame you. There's a lot of people out there who enjoy sex clubs, who enjoy anonymous sex, who can dip in and out. Like I said before, there are people who dip in and out and do it right. Maybe you guys can mm-hmm. dip in and out and do it right. But you will see guys in – public sex environments, in sex clubs who are destroying themselves with sex. Just I want you and your boyfriend to think about it before you go to make sure you're not going there for that reason yourselves and so that when you encounter those guys in those environments, you can recognize them and steer clear of them and look for guys who may be dipping in and out of it responsibly and with their heads screwed on straight as I hope you two will if that's what you decide to do. That's that's intimate. I figure that Pride Weekend might have a little bit more of a broader crowd, but maybe maybe it'll have more of the worst. Maybe. You know, some of what I hear from friends who enjoy public sex environments and bathhouses is that Grindr and other dating apps and hookup apps have drained the bathhouses of, you know, all but the hardcore bathhouse users. Mm, Okay. But, you know, individual mileage may vary. You know, I had a friend the other day who was telling me that you know, it's still very much a young person scene or a hip scene. And uh, he thought it was kind of a healthy scene at this particular bathhouse that he went to in Chicago. So individual mileage may vary. Maybe, you know, I haven't been in one in 20 years. So maybe you'll encounter a very different scene than I encountered. Um, And again, I'm owning my fear and prejudice and irrational sort of um, impulse reaction because like I said, you know, in the 80s, everybody I knew who frequented bathhouses dropped dead one day. Uh, yeah, and that's, that's my association. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I guess the only thing I really have is I had a guy that I dated for a little bit. He was cool. Mm-hmm. And he'd been, and he's the one that really talked him up to me. So, well, I don't know. go in with your eyes open we'll and go in sober. Of course, right? Yeah. And as you have HPV and you're struggling with that, keep your ass out of play, please. Yes, definitely. That's for both of us. Regardless, that's out of play. Okay, that's more than we're wanting. So, thanks, Dan. Sure thing. Good luck. Hi, Dan. 28-year-old straight female. I've been in a six-month relationship with a guy. The relationship actually the best sex I've ever had. Uh, a while ago, a couple about a month or two ago, a conversation about her kinks. And he told me that he was into asphyxiation. <laughs> you know, he wants me to be on top to choke him. 
until he's almost at the point of passing out. Relief, release him. He breathes in deeply. He has a mind blowing orgasm and passes out for a few seconds. I'm totally open to it. I just I want to be safe. I I don't want to hurt him. <laughs> I don't want to kill him. You know, I, I love him and I want I want him to be safe. But I just wanted to know if you had any advice, tips. <laughs> You think I should definitely not do it? <laughs> um, just, uh, yeah, what you thought. <sighs> People die every year doing suffocation or strangulation play. People die. You know, it's really hard for me to sign off on this. Jay Wiseman uh, is a BDSM activist and he wrote a book, a uh, sort of seminal book, early book on SM play called SM 101. That's a reference point for lots of kinksters. It's insanely kink positive. It walks you through how to do scat play safely, even how to fake it with mashed potatoes and some sort of aroma drops that smell just like poop. That's not a chapter um, that you want to relive Uh, and that's the first thing that pops to mind. So this isn't some sort of like namby-pamby, you know, just safe kink and fur-lined handcuffs uh, guide to S&M. This is hardcore shit and this is what Jay Wiseman has to say about choking. I know of no way whatsoever that suffocation or strangulation can be done that does not intrinsically put the recipient at risk of cardiac arrest. I know of no reliable way to determine when such a cardiac arrest becomes imminent. If the recipient does arrest, the probability of resuscitating them even with optimal CPR is small. So you can crush someone's carotid artery. You can really kill someone giving them what they want, that choking experience or being choked out. And then you get to go to jail for manslaughter even if it was consensual sex play, even if you have it in writing. So I would err on the side of not doing that. If you must do breath play, do like more responsible kingsters do. Get a gas mask that you can just put a hand over the exposed breathing hole. You take the tubes off it and there's like a a round piece at the front and you can just put a palm over that and that restricts someone's breathing without you having to put any pressure on their throat, without you having to choke them. And then when they get a little desperate for air, all they have to do is kind of shake their head a little bit and it knocks your palm off or it allows for some air to break through. Still, I don't recommend that kind of play, that kind of breath play. It is dangerous. It is ill-advised. But if you must, if he must, don't do it through strangulation. Do not put a cord around his neck. Do not wrap your hands around his throat and choke him. Do not put him in a chokehold. Get yourself to the Army-Navy surplus store and get yourself a gas mask if you must. Hi, Dan. 29-year-old bi guy in a seven-year relationship with a great lady. However, this question is not about us. It's about family. My brother is a struggling drug addict who, like many addicts, has fathered a child. The child is now one and a half and is currently in DHS custody because my brother and the mother have been unable to get their shit together. Both my brother and the mother are in and out of jail, falling into relapses and otherwise not providing the basic needs a parent should. My family and I have attempted to help them out over and over again, but we are starting to lose our patience. My brother doesn't seem to realize how close he is to losing his daughter permanently. DHS is already making moves of adopting the child outright and is currently looking at family members first. On paper, I fit the mode perfectly. I'm in my late 20s, college educated, progressing toward career goals, and have been in a stable relationship for over seven years. The only other family members DHS is considering is the sweet grandmother of the child's mother, who is 82, and my own parents, who live across the country and are about to enter their 60s. 
My own parents are willing to adopt this child, but I feel it's a bit unfair for my borderline senior citizen parents who have already raised their children to adulthood to have a toddler back at home. My question is, what is my moral obligation here? Should I keep hoping my brother will finally step up to the plate even if facts on the ground are trending otherwise? Should I step in and adopt this poor kid myself even though I'm a bit weirded out of raising my brother's daughter? If I do adopt this kid, would it be unfair of me to ask my girlfriend to be a co-parent since we are technically not married even though we have lived together for so long? Or would it be best for the kid to be adopted by a stranger? I really value your opinion on everything, and since you and your husband have been part of the adoption process before, I'm interested in what you have to say. So I, I had a follow-up question for you. How old are your parents? Uh, my dad is 59, and my mom is turning 56 this year. Okay, they're not that old. How Are they mm-hmm. infirm? Are they sick? No, they're pretty healthy. My mom has a bad hip, but other than that, they're, you know, they're pretty healthy. And do they want to adopt their grandchild? Do they want to step up? They are willing to step up. They want my brother to step up first. <laughs> I think your brother's Obviously. already. I think your brother's already had his chance, right? And failed. If the that's state, what, if the what, state has intervened, and is this kid in foster care at the moment? Yes. Okay, you know, I'm of the opinion that we give drug-addicted or incompetent or abusive parents too many shots and that kids get jerked around and at a certain point, particularly if the state is involved and you're talking about foster care, that, yeah, it would be nice if your brother stepped up, but he's proved that that's not in his power. Right, given his trajectory within the last year has not been positive. Okay, so you either have to let your parents do it or you need to step up and do it. Right, and I'm on the fence as far as, A, should I step up and do it? Because my partner and I, my girlfriend and I, we have talked about having children. But, you know, when you're having children, you have nine months to kind of get used to being a parent before the right. kid actually comes. But have in you, this case, it could happen in a few months. Have you talked to her about your niece and what's going on with your brother and the state? Well, yeah, we, we actually had a really nice long talk about it <clears throat> the other day. And she's totally down, so that is very, I'm very lucky in that regard. But, but, so, another, but another sort of element here is that you're only 27 or so, is that right? I'm 29. Okay, you're 29, and you're just starting out on your career, and you need to focus on that, and so does your girlfriend, correct? Correct. That is, that is the only thing that's kind of holding me from jumping into the situation wholeheartedly. Okay, well, here, you know what I would do if I were you? Yeah. I would talk to mom and dad. I would talk to your parents. And acknowledge that this is a year and a half old baby and you know there are a lot of grandparents out there raising their grandchildren and right. some say that that like helps keep them young and they actually enjoy it. It gives them something fucking to do uh, and that – you know maybe that's how we actually evolved that you know the elderly and the older folks in the little hunter-gatherer tribe looked after the little kids and the healthy spry young adults that were pumping out puppies went out and killed things and dragged them back to eat. Right. So it may not be so you know offensive to the natural order of things for your grand for your parents your, this kid's grandparents to step up, but I think that the deal that you should do here is your parents step up they adopt this kid with the understanding that as they approach sixty and this kid is approaching eleven or twelve mm-hmm. that you then play a much more active role at a time in your life you'll be more settled in your career uh, mm-hmm. and, and more stable yourself. And relieve them of some of the burden of parenting a teenager. Not they pass the kid off to you at that moment that they still stay right. active and stay in, but you will be there 
to offer your parents the moral support and the backup that all parents of teenagers need. Right. With the understanding that, of course, your parents then will be older mm-hmm. and they'll need that support perhaps more than uh, younger right. parents would. In that case, I totally agree with you. But in terms of geography, they live way far away from where I live and I'm not confident that that geography will become the same. You know, we won't live in the same place and thus I can't just pop in to help out in any regard. Uh huh. Where does your brother live? He lives uh, within 100 miles of where I live, so he lives pretty close. And your parents live at the other end of the country? They live over 1,000 miles away, mm-hmm. so it's definitely a trip. <laughs> and But they're not retired yet? Uh... Not technically, but they're acting like they are. (laughs) (laughs) But then if they got to be, you know, 10 years, 12 years down the road and this kid is 13, 14, 15 and they need more help, they would be at a point in life where they could move closer to you. That is an option, yeah. So you could still be there for your parents and your niece when your parents need that love and support. Somebody's got to step up in the family. Somebody's got to step up in the family. Right. I I know. I totally agree with you. It's a matter of – might be a better idea for this kid to be a thousand miles away from his biological parents than to be a yeah, hundred miles away from, from her biological parents. That actually leads to another question I had about the situation. Like if we do in fact, go ahead, either my parents or myself adopting this kid, what sort of obligation do we have to the birth parents, my brother and the mother of the child? Cause they're still going to be involved in my life as you know, my brother and the birth mother is probably going to be involved in my brother's life for God knows how long. Uh-huh. Um, like, are they still going to be mom and dad and come over and take the kid at what, any old opportunity? Or what do what they want? Ground rules? What do they want? And That's are they clear right now? You know, the ground rules are set in an adoption by the adoptive parents. If the state strips your brother and his girlfriend of their parental rights, then mm-hmm. whatever role they play in the life of this child is at the sufferance of the people who adopt that child. So it's not that you then invite a lot of dysfunction into your life because you're going to have this drug addict dropping by every day to see his daughter mm-hmm. that you can establish boundaries. And often it is the case when people are so much more in love with drugs than they are with their own children that they don't come around. Right. And you may face the opposite problem in the future. Not that you're seeing too much of your brother for your liking but too little mm-hmm. of your brother – for his daughter's liking. And the source of pain can be the absence, not the presence. But you don't know how that's all going to unfold until it unfolds. But I would encourage you and your parents, this kid is in foster care, whatever. And foster care can be good or bad, but it can sometimes be very bad. And at a year and a half of the neglect or abuse that causes state to step in, whatever damage has already been done to this child could be compounded by a lengthy stay in foster care. So right. we have well, met the foster parents of the child and we're pretty confident in, you know, the care that they're giving her. Um, good. We're pretty confident that it's not a bad place for her, but we want it to be temporary and as temporary as possible. So we as a family, we need to figure out what to do. But the question I had is, should it be me or should it be my parents? And my answer is yes, it should be. It should be oh. you <laughs> and your parents that you and your parents should work together to rescue your niece and your parents' granddaughter. And it doesn't have to be either or. 
And your parents can assume the lion's share of the responsibility now with an understanding that as they get older and this child grows, that you're going to be there. And that right. at a certain point, you're willing to accept that responsibility and step up. Even if that means maybe the kid moves to where you are for high school mm-hmm. and then you make an extra effort to get to where your parents are on a regular basis and be in that kid's life, even if you're a thousand miles apart, it's not that far. Mm-hmm. And get there and spend time with her and maybe you give your parents a break in the summer. Maybe you, that kid comes to stay with you in the summer and she gets to see her lousy-ass, drug-addicted biological parents a little bit in the summer under your supervision so your parents can have a break. Right. Every year. Like, yeah, you or your parents, absolutely the answer is yes. You and your parents, that is the answer. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I realize, I realize that's easy for me to say. I haven't been in your shoes. Right. I, I understand. Um, and, you know, I'm more than willing to, you know, go the extra mile. I'm just not sure of the logistics. <laughs> but I'm thinking that logistics should be put on hold for the sake of the family being there for the kid. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. You got to step up. And you guys, you know, 10, 15 years down the road looking back, you'll be glad you did. I know. I know. I know. Do you love this girl? I do. I don't see her on occasion because, you know, she has been in the custody of my, my, my brother and his, the mother of the child and they can't even keep their phone connected. So it's really difficult to work out a pattern of seeing her on a regular basis. But, um, now that she's in foster care, I think we can be a little bit more stable as far as how much we spend time with her. Step up. Yeah. And you know, it's an awesome responsibility. It's an awesome burden. Unfair to you, unfair to your girlfriend, unfair to your parents, but it's a lighter yeah. load if you all split it up. Right. The frustrating thing is, like, I remember distinctly growing up, my parents saying, we're not going to raise your kids for you, and here we are in this situation right now. Well, you never know. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and sometimes a challenge comes along that you didn't expect, something you said you would never want to do or couldn't conceive of doing, and you do it because you mm-hmm. must, because, because family. Because life dictates it, so. Right. I do think the deal you should lead your parents with is we will take – for now, when, while she's young, we will take her in the summers. You take her in the school year. We'll come for Christmas and we'll forge that bond so that when she comes to us, it's not traumatizing and we're not strangers. Right. Okay. And um, now that she's – now that we have access to her a little bit more often because, you know, since it's hard to get a hold of my brother and his um, – the mother of his child, it's been difficult to see her. But now that she's actually in foster care, we get to see her more often. Um, but we do have to go through DHS in order to see her. And I think making moves to adopt the kid, is, since my brother is not really showing signs of improvement, may be the best way to go. Do it. All right. You know the right thing to do here. Do it. Yeah. Thank you. Thank You're you welcome. so much Good for luck. your advice. Good luck. Thank you. Bye. Hi, Dan. I've been listening to you for a long time. It's really helped me through stuff. But I never thought that I would be in this kind of a mind fuck situation where I just kind of dawned on me that I should call Dan today because I really screwed some stuff up and I need some help. Basically, I took this guy's virginity and I'm not, I wasn't even physically attracted to him. It was just, I was in a really horrible emotional time and I was vulnerable and even my friends say, you wouldn't have done that if you weren't so, like, sad, basically. But, you know, he was already, he's fucking crazy. Every time I would go on Facebook after that, he would send a message to me, like, if I went online at all, hey, hey, over and over again. And I kind of set some boundaries, but now he has decided to move 
to the town that I live in. And I don't know what to do because he's friends with my best friend who's moving in with me. And she doesn't want to. She she doesn't want to lose that friendship, and I understand that. But I can't talk to him. I blocked him on Facebook. But basically in about a month, he's going to be here, and he's going to be wanting to come over to my house every single day. And he told me that the, the only reason that he has gotten through the summer was because of her, and he, like, threatened suicide and stuff. And it's just it's gotten so crazy that I want to just step back and like be left alone, but it's not going to last for long. And he's just really immature. And I just don't know how to deal with the situation where my best friend is friends with him and he's not going to know anyone but her up here. So if you have any advice, I would really appreciate it. So this, this dude that you fucked, that you had sad sex with and took his virginity. Oh my God, yeah. Who's kind of imprinted on you like a duckling, which is something that can happen when someone loses their virginity. They can become a little obsessed with the person that took their virginity. And is he sort of hoping that you guys are going to have a thing when he arrives? I made, I made it clear that that wasn't going to happen when, okay. from the beginning. Did you make it clear? You, he, did you make it clear? Because what you said is, I tried to set some boundaries. Have you said, that was a one-off, I'm not fucking you again? Have you been that direct? Yes. Yes. Like, I told him, like, even before we had sex, I was like, you know, to me, if anything happens, this is just a hookup. This isn't going to be a relationship. But as things went on, he just kept on, like, holding out hope. Like, I explained to him, like, I'm at the point in my life, like, I'm 20 years old. I'm not looking for a boyfriend right now. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, he heard the right now thing. So he's just like, okay, then I'll just wait. And then I had to be clear with him about that. that okay, so when you clarified, what did you say? Just the way things have been going, like... Ah, that's not I a clarification. That, okay, that's I not know, a clarification. Yeah. What you need to say to him is, I am not attracted to you. You are not someone I want to date. I do not want to sleep with you again. This is never going to happen. Because if you yeah. use sort of self-effacing, ego-sparing, I socialize to be the girl and he's the boy language where I'm just not in a place right now where I'm looking for a relationship, he's going to hear, like you said... I'll wait. Maybe soon she'll come around in a couple of months if I just can be there and, you know, and I'm patient and I keep haying her and supping her on Facebook. And maybe if I move to town and then I'm around, she'll come around because you've used conditional language when you need to be unmistakable. You need to scald him. Look at how he's making you feel. Why are you sparing his feelings? He's making you feel panicked and unsafe in your own home. So what you say to him is, I guess we're going to see each other a bit when you get here. I need to clarify something. I'm sorry that that you misinterpreted that night. That was a hookup. It was a one-off. I am not going to fuck you again, and I'm not interested in dating you. Yeah. It's not going to happen. I mean, never it still like, creeps me out that he's moving here. Well, it's a little creepy, but what can you do? You can't you can't prevent him from moving to wherever yeah. it is he wants to move. And I'm not saying this is your fault, and I wish you could t- fucking take the hint. You know, all guys should be able to read into, I'm not interested in seeing anyone right now. What that means is I don't want to see you ever. Yeah. 
right? But, you know, people live mm-hmm. in hope and people then make the mistake of allowing someone to live in hope and then are frustrated that someone isn't taking the hint when you need to stop hinting and start telling. And you'll feel better yeah. if you, you're clear with him. Like, this is never going to happen, period, the end. And then, you know, if he's around a little bit because he's friends with your roommate and he makes you uncomfortable, you can leave. You can ask him to leave. You can tell your roommate to see him elsewhere. It's your space too. Be assertive. Not just with him but with your roommate. That until he yeah. drops this, hey, sup, what's up, Facebook, he's stalking, living in hope shit. Until he drops it, you don't want to be around well, now him. now I've blocked him. So That's a pretty unmistakable like, message. <laughs> That's yeah. pretty clear, but you still want to use your words. You still got to tell it. Yeah. And if he doesn't take he doesn't take no, never, fuck off, go away for an answer, you have a totally legit case to go to your roommate and say, this guy's being rapey, stalky, and I don't want him in my house. And yeah. if your roommate can't respect that, you got to move. Or she's got to move. I think, like, she's she's been really understanding about it, so it's just, I feel bad putting her in this position, But too, then she so. can't, if she's really understanding and she's on your side and she sees that what he's doing is not okay, she needs to communicate that to him as well. Yeah. And then she needs to set limits and boundaries. Like a limit and a boundary might be your front door is a boundary that he's not allowed to cross if he can't respect your no. If he can't take no for an answer and fuck off and drop it and stop it for an answer, then he can't be in your space. And if your roommate allows him in your space because she is too sort of cringy, weak and doesn't want to hurt his feelings, then she really isn't taking your side. She isn't defending you. She isn't sticking up for you. The other, like, complicatedness of this entire situation that makes me want to just, like, scream into a pillow all day is he's moving in with her boyfriend, who I'm <laughs> friends with, too. And I'm just like, well, then why? You, you know what why you do, is this my life? Well, you know what you do in a situation like that? At some point, you've got to get in front of it. You know, you've got to get out in front of this collision that you're going to have with him and say, just to be clear, we're going to have to interact with each other. And these are the terms. I'm not going to fuck you again ever. I'm not going to date you again ever. We're going to have to see each other. We're going to be civil. We're going to be polite. I can be kind to you if you're not trying to leverage your dick back into my pants. And we can be friends and you can be part. You can, I'm like, I don't have a choice about you joining my social circle peripherally, but it'll be ugly and complicated for all of us if you can't respect this no. It's not going to happen. And just be that scalding and that direct with him. And then if he doesn't respect it, if he's trying to weasel his way into your pants or he's pressuring you or stalking you or God forbid touching you in any way that makes you uncomfortable, you go to your friends and say, him or me. What he's doing is rapey stalky and it's him or me. And if your friends are are, worthy of your friendship at a point like that, they will choose you and they will exile him. Yeah, uh, she's only known him for a little over a year, and we've known each other since we were five, so... Another thing to throw in his face, another thing to throw in his face. You're moving to this new town, you're going to... This is the support system you want to access, me and my friends. You will not have this support if you make me uncomfortable, and you're making me uncomfortable right now, so fucking drop it. Or or this support that you think you're going to get when you move to town is going to be withdrawn. How old is he? He's 19. Okay. This could be a valuable learning experience for him and he can get with the program and get himself up to speed or he can get the fuck out. 
Like, give him a chance. He's yeah. young and he's dumb, and he had his first orgasm in another human being, and that can put the that can you know make somebody behave very badly. And that pushback that he gets from you and your friends at that moment can be what sets him right, really, for the rest of his life. That teaches him a lesson about how to treat people going forward. Yes. And so you need to form a united front with your best friend and her boyfriend. The three of you need to say – and you need to say to them, I'm not real happy about this. I'm not real happy that he's moving in with you and that he's friends with you and I'm going to have to see him all the time because of the way he's been behaving and treating me. But here's what we're going to do. We're all going to push back hard and say this to him. And then if he doesn't respect you, if he doesn't respect the, the boundaries that you guys, all three of you are going to lay down, you need their advanced consent. You need their, their commitment to you in advance that they will cut him off and throw him out, that they will choose you over okay. this person that they don't know very well but they kind of like but who's kind of being shitty to you. Give him a yeah. chance to stop being shitty maybe because he's young and dumb and having your first orgasm in another human being can really like put the zap on your head. It doesn't excuse his behavior, his stocky, weird-ass behavior. Give him a chance to right the ship. But if he can't, he's out. Yeah. And get your friends to agree, link arms with you, lay down the law to him, one chance. And if he's shitty, gets drunk, does something stupid, disrespects you, keeps coming at you, starts cyber-stalking you, anything, he's out. And make sure he understands that. Yeah. It's just, I never thought that I would just be like in this crazy kind of situation all, where I'm just like, I have no idea what to do. We've all been there. We all have been there. Yeah. And uh, where we've, you know, been obsessed with somebody who wants nothing to do with us and we didn't, you know, we kept coming back at them and then realized we were making them feel terrible. Like a lot of us have done that and then yeah. woken up and learned that lesson and made an effort never to do that again. And a lot of us have had people do that to us and then realized that being nice wasn't getting us anywhere. Being nice was being misinterpreted as maybe. Like, oh, yeah, maybe not now, maybe later. Just keep like in my face and maybe I'll come around. Like clear, unmistakable boom. Lower the boom. All three of you. Enlist your friends. Yeah. I also feel bad for my friend's boyfriend because – like he's stop feeling bad for people. No, I'm just I'm worried for him Why? because this guy like because like like the financial and like instability thing. I don't want him to get like fucked over financially. Like all of a sudden he doesn't have a roommate because this guy like just ups and leaves or can't hold a job with not, or anything. Not it's your problem. Like, not your responsibility. You're yeah. not letting this jackass that people don't know well move into this boy's house. Of your own accord? That wasn't your idea. Yeah. You didn't make this happen. Stop feeling bad. Okay. Be assertive. Good luck. All right. Thank you, Dan. Bye. Hi, Dan. Um, I have a question that's more relationshipy than sexy. Um, I wanted to ask you about etiquette between current and ex-partners. Uh, my boyfriend's friends with his ex-girlfriend, and they hang out once every few months or so. And I made an effort to be friendly with her and make her feel comfortable around me because... I know that I'd hope to be treated that way if I met an ex-boyfriend's new partner. She's very bubbly and enthusiastic around me, but her constant attention-seeking is pretty annoying. For example, we recently all went out, and she dressed very revealingly and in giant platform heels, spent the evening posing suggestively in front of my boyfriend, and I was standing right there. Um, the, the day before, they'd gone to the park together, and she stripped down to her bra to work on her tan. 
And then she asked him about our relationship and how often we have sex. He didn't seem to think that it was a big deal. He says not to dwell too much on her choice of conversation or clothing because it's just how she dresses nowadays and she's a free spirit type. I've tried not to be judgmental, but I feel that she's being disrespectful towards me and also towards him by behaving so provocatively around us and prying into our sex life. I told him that I don't mind him spending time with her, but I don't really want to have anything to do with her anymore. I'm wondering, is it reasonable for me to be offended by her behavior, or is it my responsibility to set the tone and draw the line with her on what I'm comfortable with? So my main question is, is there any standard of etiquette between current and ex-partners? You know, I have friends who whose ex-partners are their fuck buddies and their current boyfriends, girlfriends don't mind. So there isn't one cut and dried, one size fits all etiquette approach to how you interact with your exes. That's very subjective. The problem here though is the way this woman is behaving makes you, the current girlfriend, feel uncomfortable and as if your privacy is being violated. And you know, someone who is your boyfriend ostensibly should be putting your feelings first. Your comfort and security should be his primary concern. So regardless of whether this behavior would be acceptable in some other relationship or you were not bothered by it, the behavior wouldn't matter. So it's not like saying this kind of behavior is unacceptable when you know this person is seeing somebody else because if it didn't bother you, it wouldn't be – you wouldn't be calling, wouldn't be relevant. But it bothers you. And so long as you're not irrational and controlling and vindictive and it doesn't sound like you are, you were perfectly willing to tolerate or even get to know and welcome this woman and, and tolerate her friendship with your current, her ex, she's pushing the line and she's acting in ways that make you feel bad and vulnerable and make you doubt your boyfriend's commitment to you. And so it's really his responsibility at this point to draw the line and tell her, you know, the parading around in your bra in front of me and talking to me about my sex life, that shit makes my girlfriend uncomfortable. So you're going to have to knock that shit out if we're going to hang out. So please don't do that. And then if she continues, if she persists in doing that, even though she knows that it is annoying you and driving a wedge into your relationship with your boyfriend, her ex, then she's doing it on purpose. Then she's actively trying to break you guys up once she knows that that's the effect it's having. So if she keeps pushing, then your boyfriend's going to either have to cut her out of his life or cut you out of his life. If he would rather have her and her bra and her questions in his life and his ex in his life and his current in his life, he can make that choice. Hopefully he'll pick you. Hi, Dan. I am a straight 21-year-old female, and um, I am attracted to drag queens. I just realized this within the past month or two from starting watching RuPaul's Drag Race, which is probably what made drag really famous right now. But yeah, I'm really sexually attracted to drag queens. I think it's incredibly sexy to have a little bit of masculinity, you know, on the, you know, when they're not all topped and everything, but being fucking gorgeous and fabulous when they are, you know, dressed up in drag and it's hot to me. But uh, I was wondering if there are great drag queens out there, if there are dudes who love to do drag and are great performers, you know, et cetera, but like to and are sexually attracted to women, you know? Do they exist and where 
Yeah, I mean, I'm in a small town right now for college, but once I get out, I'm planning to go to a city. So, yeah, I just want to hear your opinion about that. I can't say there are no straight drag queens out there, but drag as a kind of camp performance, heightened reality, really is a gay thing that almost all drag queens, when you, the, 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 the types that you mean, the RuPaul drag race types that you mean when people say drag queen, almost all of those guys are gay. And I, I think drag is a commentary on masculinity, not particularly a commentary on femininity. Hence, it's sort of exaggerated nature. Hence, the aggressiveness of drag queens. Drag is a kind of masquerade camp kabuki Male aggression filtered um, through, you know, female presentation, through stereotypical female presentation, through its exaggeration and for comic effect. So it's not really a thing that straight guys can tap into very easily, although there is Dame Edna. Dame Edna famously is a drag role created by a straight Australian comic. Um, but they're really rare and hard to find. What's easy to find are – heterosexual male cross-dressers. Um, they usually don't go in for the full drag effect, the fierceness, the campiness, the no-tea-no-shade-ness that you'll see on RuPaul. But they're so grateful when they meet a girl who is into it, who loves the cross-dressing, who's actually kind of excited about it and happy to participate and help them dress, that you might be able to find yourself a nice straight cross-dresser who just wants to pass um, and Guys in drag don't really pass. They don't pass for girls. No one looks at a drag queen and thinks, girl. Although that happens very rarely, almost invariably, 99% of the time, people look at drag queens and think, fag. No one thinks, lady. And a lot of cross-dressers are really invested in people looking at them and thinking, lady. But you may be able to find one and then bring the drag queen out or get him to kick it up to another level for you because that's what you want. And if you can celebrate his cross-dressing and enjoy it and help him shop, you may be able to push him in a bit draggier direction, drag him in a draggier direction. Um, and then both of you will live happily ever after. You and your cross-dresser come drag queen. Good morning, Dan. I'd like to respond to your caller in episode 348, who doesn't care for his future sister-in-law. My husband agreed to be the best man for his brother, although we weren't too thrilled about his fiance either. Because he wanted to support he tolerated her. A few weeks before the wedding, his fiancé went a bit too far in disrespecting us, and my husband called his mother and said, Tell my brother I am no longer his best man, my wife and I will not be attending his wedding, and I will never speak to him again. The wedding was a few weeks ago, and we did not attend, nor did his brother ever try to make amends for his male wife. When the family asked where we were, we told them the honest truth about what the girl did to us. I asked my husband the other day, honey, do you regret not going to your brother's wedding? And he said no. And then I asked him what I suggest your caller ask himself. Has our life been any less richer in the four months that your brother has been out of it? And he said no, it's actually better now. We made the right choice for us. His brother is our relative, but he's not our family. Hi, Dan. I am a big fan of your rant. However, I have to disagree with your Anthony Weiner rant. Uh, the big problem with Anthony Weiner isn't that he did the sexting. It's that he lied about it, and he made the press circuit, especially going on Rachel Maddow, uh, not only saying that he wasn't responsible for it, it wasn't him, but that someone had sabotaged him. The only reason he came clean was because it was proved. Uh, it was proven that he had actually done this. 
Um, you know, so that's a big problem. We shouldn't have a mayor of New York who is, well, of course, I mean, I guess it goes with the job of being a politician, but who's an, a, a liar and whose response to getting out of a problem is to immediately lie and play a victim, which is what he did. That's his crime, not the fact that he was doing the sexting, which is, you know, pretty harmless and has nothing to do with his job. It's the, the fact that we can't trust him. Hi, Dan. A quick response to Savage Love 348, where you talked the 18-year-old girl out of <laughs> having sex with uh, her gay co-workers' straight buddies. Um, another worst-case scenario thing I'd like to just put out there is whether or not anybody was filming any of these sessions. I mean, there's nothing wrong with uh, filming your intimate encounters. That's fine. But it sounds like, in this case, there could have been things going on that she had no knowledge of whatsoever. And that kind of stuff, you know, just somebody filming it for their own wank bank, you never know where that's going to end up. So, yeah, definitely run. And we're going to leave it there. 206-201-2720 is the number here at the Savage Lovecast. If you want to record a question or comment for a future show, give us a buzz. 206-201-2720. Special thanks today to Garfunkel and Oates for joining us on the show. Go to www.garfunkelandoats.com to hear all of the fadeaway and more Garfunkel and Oates tunes. They're awesome. Check them out at garfunkelandoats.com. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. Buy my new book, American Savage, at Amazon or your local independent bookstores now. Thank you all so much, all you subscribers to Savage Lovecast Magnum. We love you and love you for loving us. And it's a beautiful, loving circle. Thank you very much for subscribing to our version of the show. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech savvy at risk you and Nancy. We will all be back at you next week with another installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thanks for downloading.